0: Hello, hello, this is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Before I introduce my guest, I have some really exciting news to share. I am now officially part of the Taste of Reality podcast network, which will be hosting my podcast on their site starting now. (laughs) If you go to realityofreality.com, it will take you to my webpage on Taste of Reality. Once you get on the page, you can listen to all my podcasts on your computer and look at the links and the show notes. There's a lot of other fun stuff on Taste of Reality website you can explore, including the store where, drumroll please, you can buy Reality of Reality swag. Yes, that's real. I've got tote bags, mugs, notebooks, stickers, even a water bottle. It's really crazy, but I'm so excited about all of it. In short order, this will also include advertisers coming on board so we can make the brand even bigger. And as always, thank you guys so much for your support. If you haven't gone to the iTunes store and rated my podcast, please go to Reality of Reality on iTunes. Give me a five-star rating if you can and write a short review too. That really helps. And I'm very, very grateful to every person who does that. Today on the podcast, I am thrilled to have the international pop star Debbie Gibson and my good friend and Big Shot Network executive, Doug Cohn. Most of you know Debbie, who has been famous since she burst on the scene at 16 back in 1987. She's been working ever since, and today she is one of the judges on the new competition series for Nickelodeon, America's Most Musical Family. It premieres November 1st at 7 p.m., Doug is the Senior Vice President of Music and Talent at Nickelodeon, so this is his baby. Doug and I met back in the day at VH1, so when I told him I wanted to interview him for the podcast, he came up with the brilliant idea to bring Debbie on, too, to talk about the show, so I got a two-for-one here in a major way. Not only do we hear all about the show, some great stories about Debbie's early days and how she stayed sane when the record business tried to make her insane, she even does some singing at the end, which is completely amazing. This is so exciting. I'm here at Nickelodeon headquarters with the one and only Debbie Gibson and the one and only Doug Cohn.
1: Hello. How are you? I'm good.
2: How's it going? (laughs) Nice to see you, Elisa.
0: Good. So I screwed up by not bringing the third mic, so these two pros are going to be sharing it back and forth, so bear with us. (laughs) Um, We're so excited to talk about your new show, America's Most Musical Family. Of course, Debbie, as I said, is one of the judges, along with Ciara and David Dobrik who's a big influencer. And I had the pleasure of attending the finale taping with my daughter, which was so exciting. And I will keep my mouth shut, as I promised Doug, till the very end. But I was very excited. It was a lot of energy and super fun.
1: Oh, so much fun. You know, at the end of the season, I literally was like, did I just partake in an entire season of a TV show? Because it never felt like work. Like it just... It was such a joy every single time. It was like, okay, I get to show up, watch these incredibly talented families. Um, you know, even though technically I'm a judge and obviously I did a lot of the deliberating voting, et cetera, and, and selecting, it felt more like I was just giving them feedback and, you know, just really interacting with them and, and giving them constructive advice. And, but it was, that's just so natural for me. and, and I, like, I basically had the best seat in the house for this incredible concert every week.
0: Yes, exactly. And the energy, like I said, it was electric. And from the crowd, I mean, these kids that were, you were, you know, during the breaks going into the audience and it was just so much fun to watch you interact with the kids. And I love that this next generation knows you in the same way that I knew you growing up and we're around it's the same fun. age. It's fun. I
1: mean, it's fun. It's, it's funny. I did a. I did it on one of my Instagram posts. I said, like, when it, it's so amazing when a kid hugs you or wants to talk to you. And they don't know me. They don't know my career yet. You know what I mean? And like they then were interested in it, but it was more of an energetic connection. And I always feel that with kids. So, um, you know, with young people. So that was a really, really incredible part of the experience for me too. Like when I was around all that energy and around that, cause I wanted to go out in the audience. Cause I was like, I don't want to ever waste an opportunity to not interact with a young person, yeah. it's so refreshing. It was beautiful. And, and it, was it was really. And I
0: took pictures of you taking the pictures with the kids. <laughs> it was very meta. So let's back up a little bit and talk about how the show came to be. So I need to say this is one of those shows. When I saw it, I was like,
1: "How did I not? This is so. Uh, how has this not been on right, the air?" Everyone was like, "How did I? Why didn't I think of this?"
2: Everyone <laughs> said that. Everyone said, "Wait, that show? Oh, wait, it doesn't exist." Yeah, how, that's incredible that you guys thought of it. Yeah. So how so, did
0: t- t- Doug tell the story of how it came to be?
2: Well, honestly, the president of Nickelodeon, he's been the president for about a year, Brian Robbins, but has a rich history here with Nickelodeon, actually thought of it. It was his idea, and it kind of came to be. And and it's exciting when the president of the company thinks of something and then is, of course, very behind it, which is amazing. And uh, when it's such a (laughs) great idea, it's the home run. Because there's a lot of, I mean, there's also a lot of eyes on it, and you want to deliver, like you do with everything. Right. Yeah, and like Debbie said, I mean, this was just... The happiest, most well-run production. Everyone loved each other. Everyone got along. Not just the on-camera folks. The off-camera folks loved each other. The production company, Nickelodeon, um, produced th- by
0: IPC. Produced by
2: IPC. Eli
0: Sedman and, Ar- and I'm sorry, Eli Holtzman and Aaron Sedman, who are have also been on the podcast, friends of mine.
2: Incredible to work with. Such a top-notch production. It did not feel like season one. It was not messy. Everything worked. Everything was a well-oiled machine. And and I got to be honest with you, the family's loved each other. It wasn't like, you know, a competition where people wanted to kill each other. It was a competition where like, I got kicked off, but my new best friend just got pushed in and I'm so happy. I mean, I literally heard that and it it was was. shocking.
1: And just just to also like comment, Doug is so right. It's like every single person on that set from the guy in catering to the production assistants to the like every single person made it a joy to you know, "quote unquote," go to work every day. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And That's... also, you know, Brian Robbins and I actually ho- co-hosted the Kids Choice Awards together when we were kids. So, Wait, like, what? Yeah, so it was it was when Brian Robbins and Dan Schneider were on head of the class. I and- didn't know Brian was an Wait. So he was an executive at. He was no, on. He was. was an actor? He was an, actor. Sure, was an actor. I didn't. Oh, know Oh yes, this. Brian was an actor and went into writing, directing, all oh that. My but um, I got a deep dive on he Brian. He was on, head of the class. He was kind of like we'll call him the John Travolta character on that show. And so Brian, <laughs> Dan, and I, and Tony Danza co-hosted oh, the Kids out. Choice Awards. And I want to say it was '88, maybe '87, '88, yeah. one of those years. You can look that up. But so it's like a real like full circle family. And Doug and I met. When I was just going to ask. We mess. were teenagers through my best girlfriend from childhood, Iris. On Long Island. On Long Island, who went on a teen tour with Doug. Oh, that's perfect. And was like, I met <laughs> this guy on a teen tour that you have to meet. <laughs> wow. Yes. How weird. I know it's like, all like. sixteen, seventeen. 16, 17? Yeah. So it's all very like full circle family. Everybody knows and loves each other. and Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. And Sierra, David, and Nick Lachey are all just like. And I'm assuming sweet, you knew them constant- as well. I knew Nick. I knew Nick. I did not know Sierra. Really? And I cannot say enough amazing things about her. She's a force of nature. And she's one of these people, like, I think people wanna hear stories. Like, oh, how is how is Sierra? It's like, she's lovely. Sorry to bust burst your bubble, but she is just one of these women who keeps all the plates spinning and does it so gracefully like she's a wife she's a mother she runs an empire she owns a soccer team she's a judge on this show she's jetting off to do a concert she's like she does everything she does it all well and she's always in a good mood and, and looks lovely. good doing it she looks oh I mean, she's like a porcelain doll <laughs> and david dobrik who i did not know i was not aware of him because he is of kind of a different genre and different generation Anyone in my family under 20 who found out that I was doing this show, <laughs> my cool rating went up so high. I was nice. Like, you know David Dobrik? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But again, I, ha- I have to confess, I had no idea who he again, was. But again,
1: he could be a brat and he's not.
0: Yeah. He's, he's actually a good judge. so
1: lovely and he's such a good judge and he speaks on behalf of everybody in this country who just loves music. So he speaks with that kind As of voice, that relatable voice. And, um, He's just adorable and, like, eager and grateful and fun. And, and we, we just, we all had a blast.
2: He's really, really funny and just wanted to have a great time. And that was important. You know, we're Nickelodeon. We're still funny first in a lot of ways. So he brought the funny. And the funniest thing also, not the funniest thing, but the <laughs> most interesting thing is that he was, when we first approached him, he was Maybe slightly surprised, but he was like, you don't want me to be the Simon Cowell, quote unquote. Like, I'm not going to be mean. I'm yeah. not going to be that character. And we were like, first of all- we Nickelodeon.
0: We don't do that. Right. We
2: don't do that. And also, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to be you. Be funny. And, you know, yeah, he bring was... your fans along for the ride with right, us. Right, right. All of them, yeah, please. I mean,
1: I think like all of us as judges, our goal was- to, I, Look, I started as a kid, and when anyone- you want real world constructive criticism, but you don't want to kill any dreams. You want to nurture talent and dreams. And and my whole life is based on a dream. You know what I mean? And so I feel like we all kind of went in with a really positive attitude. Like if you even have the guts to audition for something like this and put yourself out there and you can carry a tune, like you're you're on track and you can grow. But the talent happened to be off the charts on the show. Like we would be deliberating for like an hour at times. Wow. Like arguing for our group that we wanted because there was so much remarkable talent.
0: That's so good to hear. So whenever shows like this get constructed and development, you know, usually it's obviously the idea first and then the judges and the talent uh, or the hosts later. So Doug, talk a look, talk a little bit about how you guys selected the judges and what that process was like, any good stories behind the scenes?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we were trying to figure out, you know, what the right balance would be, right? Co-viewing is really important for us at Nickelodeon and especially for a show like this, right? We want the young kids because we're a kids network first and foremost, but, you know, we want the parents along for the ride as well. And family viewing is so important. So, um, I'm going to have to remember the exact order of everything, but Sierra was in first, you know, I don't remember exactly how it all went down but she was on a list of names i mean brian's daughter is a big fan so that's definitely that didn't hurt but of course that's you know just
0: did you know her already because you know everyone
2: um, I had worked with her a little bit, but not super well. You know, I mean, I reminded her at some point, "Oh, remember we had drinks at the Soho house with your old manager?" She's like, "Oh my god, that was you! I remember." Yeah, yeah. You know, we didn't we didn't like work super closely together, but yeah, we knew each other. Um, I knew her manager and her lawyer, and it was like a bunch of conversations. And you know, it took a minute because she had a, like Debbie said, she had a, <laughs> a lot, lot of plates up. in the air, including other show ideas and stuff like that. So we just had to make sure that it was the right fit for her and. Um, so she came in first and, uh, we were looking for a host as well. And Nicholas Shea was just an obvious choice. He comes from a family band. He's a great host. Um, we had experience within the Viacom family at VH1 and, you know, there was just, again, it just was sort of a perfect fit. Debbie, to be honest with you, um, I think, you know, the story, um, was on a really early list of mine and I, and, and I was like, we want her. But then her tour dates were, um, with well, the mixtape tour that she did this summer, which we'll talk about more, uh, were, in, were in the way of our production. And so w- it wasn't going to be able to work. So I sort of, you know, gently crossed her off just because it wasn't doable. With The Way of the World, things moved a couple of weeks. And we were talking about, you know, we have two judges left. What are we doing? And, you know, there's different ways to go. Again, you have to think about the the whole picture. So you have Sierra, you have Nick Lachey, you need certain archetypes or, you know, roles to 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 fill. And Brian, you know, said to me, "Why isn't Debbie Gibson on this list? What's going on?" And I said, "Well, she was, but oh wait, we moved the tape dates." So, yes. And he goes, "Call them now." And I was like, "Now?" He's like, "Yeah. Call now." I was like, "Okay." So I got up and I called Heather Debbie's manager, who's here right now, I knew her as well from the past, and that was how the conversation started. And it all happened pretty quickly. While I was out of the room, Paula Kaplan, who's my boss, who runs the talent department at Nickelodeon, brought up David Dobrik, and Brian was like, "Of course, I want David Dobrik on this show." And so, like, Paula was on the phone with David's manager Jack. I was on the phone with Debbie's manager Heather, and these literally collided and happened at the same I love time.
1: That. And when that call came in, I was on tour and I had just like been, you know, it was kind of, the tour was like kind of winding down and all I had been talking about was a beach. I was like, oh my God, I need to get me to a beach vacation after this. And it was uh-huh. like, well, funny you should mention what happens after the tour because the call just came in and, and this is the call and it's Doug and it's, and I was like, oh God. oh yeah, let's work it out. That <laughs> sounds amazing. It was a, it was such a quick yes. Did I you mean, get your beach vacation yet? Not yet. I'm still <laughs> actually talking. We were just talking about it yesterday. I've been on a beach vacation in so long, but I can never turn down something I really want to do. It's like the beach can wait. Right. It can wait. The beach will still be there.
0: Yes. I just um, heard the, the, best, uh, the best quote, um, don't treat a gift like a burden.
1: I love that quote. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, of course. Right. Never look a gift horse in the mouth yeah. or something. Right. <laughs> um, is that the same kind of parallel? But anyway, yeah. I, um, Basically, it was I've, a great opportunity. But it was, yeah, it was a, a great opportunity. I mean, I've always, um, I've always loved young talent. And I, too, sang with my sisters. I sang with my dad. I still sing with my dad. And, um, you know, so that feeling of like, families getting together in their living room for the joy of it and like the hearing the family blend on harmonies. And it's something that actually runs deep for me. So when I heard the concept, I was like, this is such a good fit. Like this, this feels like a project I'm supposed to be a part of. Yeah, it's perfect. Universe always hooks it up. It always does. (laughs) So let's
0: talk for a minute about casting because you brought that up in terms of, you know, the variety of families and the level of talent. How did that I mean, did you guys cast internally? Did you go nationally? Like, what was the process like for us? We had an
2: outside casting team who went out uh, nationally and um, um, had people sort of send in their tapes and apply, and then we, we, they sort of whittled it down a little bit, and then we kind of looked through everybody. I mean, hundreds, and... um uh, really wanted to find the best people. Really, I mean, I don't think it's a lie. We're finding, we're showing America the 30 best most musical families. And then we go down from there.
0: Oh, wow, it starts with 30. Starts with Finally 30. I only saw three. <laughs> yeah,
2: it starts with 30. Oh, I can't wait. Um. Yeah, and so uh, it was exciting to see. And again, I mean, I think to some extent, it really just happens naturally, though. Like the fact, you know, the the goal would be to have all different genres and all different families and you want to show every kind of family. There are twins. There are triplets. There is a father and his daughter. There's a mom and her three kids. Like there's a little bit of everything. Very was, diverse. I was going to
1: say, yeah, there's a lot of genres. Like there's everything from like Lucero Garcia, who's like a mariachi band, and um, the Sanchez family, father and daughter. There were like, um, there was a, death metal duo as well. I mean, like there's a lot of genres represented on the show and a lot of different stories and families that have come over from different countries. And I mean, there's just a lot of really beautiful stories. There's gospel, the Mathis family, just gospel. I mean, and what I loved seeing is that there's a lot of genres of music that maybe kids normally wouldn't gravitate towards or hadn't been exposed to. And to see the kids in the audience go like, wow, that's cool. Um, And they were suddenly like, wow, gospel can be cool and mariachi can be cool. And that makes me so happy as a musician and someone who just loves the idea of this all different, authentic, like, you know, a lot of the musical styles are just like steeped in history, in their roots, ethnic background, whatever it is. And so to see that translating to this audience was exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's obviously like also because Doug and I are both parents, like some of the stuff that we hear is just like, oh, God, you know, and then so it's to get that kind of throwback music, like in the at least the finale that I watched, I was mm-hmm. I was like on my feet with. You know, yep. a lot of it was kind of older music that these young kids are singing and playing. It was so refreshing.
2: And it was their choice. I mean, they was for their the choice. most part, yeah, okay. you were probably going to ask that eventually. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it came out well, you naturally. Always, you
0: always wonder. Right? Yeah. You know, no, what, we, we really did.
2: We really respected the musicians, the artistry, the families. And, and you know, of course, there's things that come in when people want the same song or, you know, it's just something may may not work as well for our audience from our opinion yeah. but sometimes we were really surprised you know there were things that like we didn't necessarily would think would work something with a little bit less tempo maybe a song that might be slightly unfamiliar to the younger set but we were surprised that you know we were often surprised and that's what makes it even more exciting right
1: i, I found too it does and it's like yeah as an artist i love that because even you know when i started recording i always said well Nobody knows what's going to be a hit anyway, so you may as well have it be authentic to the artist. Whatever you're doing should be authentic to you. And I always feel that resonates best. But what I wanted to say, too, Doug and the execs and all the producers really made sure everything about the show was fair. The voting. They did not try to sway our opinions as judges. Like, and listen, I've been a part of a lot of reality sh- competition shows and shows and That's not always the case. So this show has a lot. What are you saying? Breaking news. (laughs) This show has a lot of integrity. It's really honest. Yeah. Like, and I don't sleep at night if there's not that. And so I think that when people watch, they're going to, they're going to really get that.
0: I love that. So let's dive in a little bit. Obviously, we want to talk about your background, Debbie and Doug as well. Um, So... You grew up in Long Island. I did. And you broke right when I was in high school. We're around the same age. And I of course was a huge fan. Thank you. I mean we even when I was at VH1 with Doug years later um, just a little antidote. I did docs there so one of the docs that I did was called Sex Cells and it was right when Britney came uh-huh. out it was right around the 99, 2000 right, right. and kind of like less is more you know and I I remember interviewing Beyonce and she's like well you got to give the men a little something to talk about and one of the things that we talked about in the doc is how back in like 86, 87, 88 it, that was not the trend it was right. like the big sweaters and the hats which you're wearing the cutest hat by the way today.
1: Thank you, I'm a hat girl. <laughs> yeah. I and say it, if you love a hat it'll love you back right? and, you and can like rock it you
0: do rock it Thank and you. you were you know a huge huge act and a huge hit and you know obviously su- so successful over the years but you didn't have to use your sexuality so i know that's a weird way to get into all this but that was my entry point for sort of thinking about your career mm-hmm. and how successful you've been just on the merits you know i mean obviously you're a beautiful woman too that's Thank you. not like you know you're well, hiding behind Well back then yeah
1: back then kids were not as in a rush to grow up i wasn't in a rush <laughs> to grow up i actually was like Why do girls want to start wearing heels? Because I kind of knew like once you start wearing them. Can't go back. Yeah, you're never taking them (laughs) off. I still kick them off in my live shows actually. But um, I kind of was hanging on to my youth for as long as I could. And I was, even though I was thrust into like an adult business world. And I always felt very confident running a sound check, I was 17, like going, that should be a B-flat minor seventh chord, not a not a sus, like that needs to, and I was in control and, and confident in that, but then I wanted to go to a slumber party, and I wanted to play Pictionary, and I didn't want to go to these like adult schmoozy yeah. award shows where they wanted you to, they wanted, like the execs wanted to tart you up. And So did was, you feel pressured by Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was a breaking point for me. And I walked away from millions of dollars in advance money um, because I was like, I cannot. And I was doing theater, too. I'm like, theater is where you go to play a role. Music is where you go to be you. And I started my career as me. And the clothes you saw me wearing on tour either my sister made or I bought at a mall or like I was a it, I was not you know I was a very accessible person and and relatable and that and I I was not ready to be couture and tarted up and and I was in no rush to rush my process you know and and I think you know from a business standpoint you're either a girl or a woman and the record business does not have time to allow you to go through a natural transition. And you're just fighting for that. My mom was fighting for it for me. I was fighting for it. And it's like, listen, my fans are going to think it's kind of suspect if one, where they <laughs> left off with me was lost in your eyes and where they pick up is some urban song and I'm dressed, you know, kind of
0: with the midriff and with the, the high like kind of trampy. Yeah.
1: And I just wasn't there yet. And when I really was now, ne- I mean, look, I celebrate being a woman now. And at a certain point, I became an adult authentically, but that doesn't happen literally overnight. And so I kind of come from an old school music, um, you know, as, as a fan, even take someone like Billy Joel, like his body of work was like, not every album was a bullseye on the billboard chart. Some albums sold a half a million, which by the way, was even mm-hmm. in my world at the time was considered a big failure. Oh, it no, I sold a half a million. And then other albums of his sold 8 million because they resonated with the public at a certain time. But because he was seen as that kind of artist, it was like, oh, well, we know we're on a ride with him. We're going to allow him transitions. But when you are a pop star, you're expected to hit a bullseye every time. And if you don't, it's like, we're losing money. You're out. We don't have time. So they don't care about your psychological or emotional state as a young girl. Nobody cares about that. And my mom was always so, you know, she managed my career for 25 years. And her primary goal was to keep me sane. Thank God for your mother, right? I mean, really, I could cry talking about her because, you know, she, um, I joke that I still do damage control to this day because she had to be the bad guy and she probably was a bad guy for a little longer than she had to be, but you don't let go of that as a mom.
0: Well, and she, you know, she and, changed the course of your life. I mean, it could have gone so differently, she but did. luckily you also, it seemed, had some co- core confidence, which I think is rare at that age. That's a very vulnerable age. I know,
1: but it was really instilled in me in my home. Yeah, you know? which is the key. We, our self worth did not come from what we were wearing or what our weight was or what, you know, we were not keeping up with trends and, and makeup and this and that. We just, we were very, like, kind of. Our innocence was protected in our house. I have three sisters. And, you know, everybody was very academically smart, intelligent, empowered, creative. And we were really like, that was nurtured. That that comes from parents.
0: Absolutely. So I'm so curious, how did you even become you like it with your first like literally you're obviously a musical kid it's crazy that it happened (laughs) like who found you where did it all come from so to
1: give you like like a quick history you know I started like in talent contests and I was playing piano and I bugged my parents for lessons and then I hear about the Annie auditions and I'd say take me And I always saw it as a big, fun game. Like I was, I wanted the role of Annie, but when I didn't get it, I was like, well, that was fun, man. I hit that note really good today and I'm proud and let's go get a dad. Can you come, can you buy me some pizza now? And let's, it was always just fun. Like even an audition to me was a performance and fun. And I took rejection very well. I was always kind of like, well, they're lost. Move on, (laughs) moving on, right? And I mean, I auditioned for Star Search literally. And I tell this story and I told this to the kids on the show. I auditioned for Star Search 10 or 11 times, never even made the live telecast. So it goes to show you, it's like, you have got to keep on keeping on if you know you have the goods. And I wasn't like, I thought, I I never sat around thinking, I'm the most talented person in the world. I knew I had something to say. I knew I connected with people. I knew that I loved music. I knew that I was going to work my butt off to do like... If even even today, if there's a song I write in a certain key because it sounds good in a certain key and I don't know how to hit the note, I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to hit that note on that vowel because I, want, because I wanted to bring the song to life. I was always, like, about the song. So I knew that I had that. And I knew that, like, I was authentic, but everyone else is, has their own unique, authentic thing to say as well. And so... Um, I started going into recording studios because I was doing some voiceovers. I was doing TV commercials, voiceovers. I did this like Daisy, Daisy, I've got a bike for you. I sang that and I was in the studio and I was like, God, if I knew what these buttons did, I'd be dangerous because I knew I had like arrangements in my head. I'd fall asleep with like string parts in my head. And I'm like, how do I get them down? So I stole all my sister's tape recorders. I lined them up on the ironing board and I had a Casio synthesizer at that Iris, our mutual friend, got, and I said, well, I want that too. I'm going to ask for that for my confirmation instead of jewelry. Oh so God. I got this $200 Casio keyboard, which I still have. Um, I know I was t- told you I was going to tell you the short version, but this is apparently the very thorough version. I start with, st- I would play a part into one tape recorder and then I'd play that tape recorder back and I'd play another part into another tape recorder. So I was attempting to multi-track record with no equipment. Wow. So my mom walked in and the tape recorders were on the ironing board and she went, this is nuts. <laughs> I've got to figure out how to help you get equipment. They had two, three mortgages on the house and four kids and some were going to college. So my mom got in her car and drove to her uncle Joe's house in Vineland, New Jersey. And he owned like a, um, uh, what are you trying to say? Like a tractor, like farm equipment company. And she asked for $10,000 loan. And, um, he said, yes, he'd see, see me sing mm-hmm. at the family reunions. I would get up on the table and sing. And she said, you don't understand. My daughter really wants to like, she's really gonna do this and, And, um, she drove back, drove the three hours back and said, we got the loan. Wow. And we started building a studio with advice from people that I don't know where she pulled the people out of, but like, there's an engineer suddenly helping me. Najee, the jazz saxophone player was like playing on my demos in the garage, which was the playroom. And then my sisters hated me because there was no more playroom, but that's another story uh, (laughs) for therapy. But, (laughs) but I was making these demos. So I started demoing in the garage and we started sending pictures and resumes and demos out. And I'd be I'd be auditioning for a commercial in a building and I'd look on the directory and see music, anything, and go, hi. I, and I was like 12. I'm writing these songs and here's my demo. And at the time, like people forget, there were no kid artists. Now it's all kids in the, running it's the so music true. business. true. There were none. There hadn't been one since the Osmonds. There hadn't right. been one since Jackson Leslie five. Gore <laughs> and the Jackson 5. Like it wasn't happening. So Wow. People were just like, well, I don't know what to do with you. Like, come back when you're 18. <laughs> right. And eventually an entertainment attorney said, well, this is pretty good. And then played it for someone in the dance department at Atlantic Records. And I got signed to like a $5,000, oh, what the heck, we'll do one song, see if it sticks deal. And was that only in my dreams? It was only in my dreams in a plain label with no picture on it because my age at the time was <laughs> a detriment, not an and asset. And were you 15, 16? I was 16. 16. Club owners did not know how old I was. <laughs> I went in the back door. I played the club. I left. My mom collected the money. I did the show. I did three shows a night. And we got that record going grassroots. It was like 200 people at a time in a club. Um, my dad worked for TWA Airlines. He would stuff all the mailboxes with like the call-in list for the radio stations. Call and request, request my daughter's records. The, the stations were like, all right. We know, we're we getting like 3,000 calls for this record and we haven't even played it yet, but it's like they had to give it some attention because they were getting all these calls. Yeah. But then they started playing it and then they started getting a real reaction. Is it so
0: weird for you to go from just like a regular girl who's just like tinkering around in her garage to being this huge sensation? Like it it was, was
1: weirdly like on one music, okay, it was the most natural thing in the world for <laughs> me to be like in professional environments. Okay. And that I'd felt been, like you were born to do it. I, like I was born to do it. I used to sing at the Metropolitan Opera in the children's chorus. <laughs> I was very good at showing up, knowing my lines, knowing yeah. my music. Like I'd be around Pavarotti and Placido Domingo and I'd be like, I I felt at home in that. But what was weird was I it's like I was um, outside of myself watching a scene and like questioning why everyone was treating me differently, either better or worse. <laughs> and I was like, why are people being meaner to me? Why are people being nicer to me? I'm just me. I was always me. I'm just doing what I love to do. Why are people acting so strange? So I didn't change. Everyone around me changed. Suddenly as simple as like, I'm getting a better table in the diner that my grandparents <laughs> would take me to. And I was like, well, that's not fair. Why aren't we waiting online with everybody else? Suddenly they think I'm cooler because I have a record in the jukebox and the diner. So like that kind of was perturbing and psycho. that's what's psychologically strange about being a young star, because you're kind of the, all of a sudden at the center of this storm. Yeah. And everybody's like swirling around you and you're just trying to keep it together. And you're watching adults just kind of going a little nuts. A
0: little nuts. So obviously we can't. I would love to go blow by blow into your whole career. No, we no, don't no. Time, I mean, but,
1: that's really the. But, but that's I an think amazing that's the key. story. And that's what ties to the show. And yeah. that's like when, when I met all the families and they. You know, some of them were so disappointed if they were going home. And I was like, listen, mm-hmm. you <laughs> you've got to toughen up. Yeah. And, if and you, you do. And if you think you're talented, you keep going. You know, there's one of you. There's one of this family, this act. And nobody does it better than you. And sometimes my critique to a family was like, don't let anyone change anything about you. And even if they didn't get through on the show, they still had a thing that was special. And they that, you know, they just needed to develop it and nurture it. And I think that's such good, such good advice about it.
0: So obviously you're hugely successful in music and you went on to act and do musicals yes. and um, bringing it up to the present. And Doug mentioned this earlier. You've been on this mixtape tour with New Kids on the Block, mm-hmm. Tiffany, Naughty by Nature. Uh, how am I? Is, are you guys still touring? I need to go to that.
1: No, we're done. You missed it, sister. Damn. We had, had I always 56 opportunities. Yeah, I blame um, Doug. <laughs> it was incredible. We played for over 600,000 people this summer. Oh, my God. It was five to six shows a week. Was it a blast? On the bus it was the exhausting and amazing and it was a blast and it was um a reconnection to this audience that i grew up with and who grew up with me so everybody felt like a big kid who came to this show and this generation i think is just particularly like vibrant and vital and like women are not being put out to pasture it. women are like yeah, right. rocking it and so like i think that and the guys i mean like the new kids guys they look better than ever they sound better than ever Tiffany, if you haven't heard her sing live, is such a powerhouse, unbelievable. The naughty by nature guys who I didn't know much about, they're like just the sweetest guys. Their energy on stage is insane. Salt and Peppa, also examples of like pioneer women who are out there rocking it. Like nobody's, look, we all performed our old hits, but nobody looked like a washed up retro act on this <laughs> right, tour. Yeah. Like everybody brought something fresh and new and. So that's what was really exciting about being a, in this particular group of artists on this tour. Okay, Doug, so I want to transition to you.
0: So it's interesting that Debbie brought up Atlantic mm-hmm. because that's where you started.
2: I know. It's like I was following her, but right? I wasn't. I'm starting um, to think
0: that might be what's going on here.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, she was there first for sure. Um, but no, I that was my first job out of college. It was a crazy... I got the job in the craziest way. I can tell you if you want. Yeah. Did really you know relevant. you were going
0: to go into music? Was music what you wanted to do?
2: So I was I I was a Jewish boy from Long Island, and <laughs> I was told that I or I was it was just in the ether that I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. Those were the two career choices, and I obviously like, got nauseous dissecting the frog in science class. So I was like, all right. And I had a big mouth, so I was like, <laughs> I guess I'm going to be a lawyer. So I was going to law school for the purposes of only doing entertainment law, and I went through the whole process. I I, I like skipped Mardi Gras my senior year of college. <laughs> To take the LSATs, like all this k- crazy stuff.
0: Did you pass? Yeah. I got know. into law school, the whole nine yards. Oh, Come really? on. Really? <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. He's the cutest yeah. person ever. And I could so see you being an entertainment lawyer, but that's yeah, another story. Well,
2: I got the books. I was I was, I was was reading my summer reading. Uh, I finally got myself to do it. And before I ripped the cellophane off the back of the book, I looked at it and I was so bored by the paragraph on the back of the book, I shoved it back in the bag. And I was like, I'm not going to law school. So I, I was like, I got to find my different way into entertainment. And uh, I went into Manhattan one day on an off day. I was a camp counselor, of course. <laughs> and I had an off day. I went into the city. I wound up meeting my friend, who I also grew up with, also Long Island, Marnie Connor, And she was working at Atlantic Records. She said, come visit me. I went to visit her. She said, wait for me. We'll take the train home together. I'm waiting in the lobby in my little suit with my resume. And somebody comes running out. Somebody else comes running out. All this drama. And she's like, did you see that? That girl just got fired. Her boss wants to hire someone. And the only requirement is that they're cool and they love music. I was like, well, I'll interview. So I went in and I interviewed with this woman. And... She gave me the job and she said, but I need you to start. And I said, I have four weeks left with 42 six-year-old boys <laughs> and I'll be here the first day back. And she goes, are you crazy? I'm offering your job at Atlantic Records and you're telling me you have to go back to your little kids. And I said, that's what I'm telling you. I Aww. made a commitment. I got to finish. I will not take one day off and I'm yours. And she's like, all right, let's do it. So that's how I started at Atlantic, and and. Debbie I love- and I crossed over a little bit there. Not a ton, but a little bit. I was in the music video department. I, I made dubs of her videos. I, <laughs> I love it. was the it. tape boy. Back in the day, <laughs> I I'm the the three quarter boy. inch. That was my, Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I'm old enough.
0: So you and I met at VH1 yes. um, back in 98 or 99. Th- I think it's been it was 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I started in 99. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah it's I got been- there in 2000. Oh, unless you did? I, yeah. Unless so you we. Legit-
0: you had just come from Atlanta. I had right? just come from Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. And so your exactly. job, my job, was to try to get the talent for these like in-depth docs, and yes. like your job was to just like make them look good, and you know, yeah. so help you get them, help, and make help them get them, and make look sure right that right that we're not doing if, anything you know that's yeah. going to make them look so. Um, and so that was so fun. By the way, still like my favorite job till this day was VH1. Had the best time. You were there for a while.
2: I was there for two years. I thought, it was I, thought I know I thought it was going to be longer too, <laughs> but. Um, Oops. Opportunity knocks, and you know some good stuff happened on the outside. And I left super great terms; still worked with them every day. It was kind of. And did you go
0: straight from there to Nickelodeon?
2: No, I forget. I went back to the Atlantic family. What happened was this really incredible executive, one of my mentors, Jason Flom, who you probably. Yeah, I know Jason. I think he grew up a lot between the time when you started and then and, and 2000, 2002. But he, he was such an incredible A&R guy, you know, oversaw the A&R department and signed all these incredible artists. And he was breaking off his little label, Lava. Oh, yeah. Um, little label with, you know, Kid Rock, 25 million records, Matchbox 20, 25 million records. But he was making it a little bit more indie again in the Atlantic family. So I went there and... Um, to sort of have a much bigger job, run a couple of teams. And it was a really good opportunity. And I went to do that. And then, of course, as the music business did in those days, uh, lots of mergers. And Atlantic, Electra, and Lava all merged into one, um, uh, probably in 2005-ish. And I stayed. I mean, it was great. Um, and I had a lot more on the plate with all these incredible artists. Uh, but then at some point, I felt like I just needed a change. You know, I was doing the, not the same thing, but different levels and versions of the same thing for many years. VH1 was a little bit of a, you know, different departure, journey. Yeah. A little departure. And, um, yeah, I just I kind of wanted to do something different. And that was Nickelodeon. That was Nickelodeon. And then you started in New York with Nick, right? I did. I did. They did not have a music department. Yeah, oh, really? Um, music, of course, always important in the lives of kids. Yeah. And, and And music lived, but it lived like in this little bit of like, it was sort of no man's land. It lived everywhere. It was like the, I called it the wild, wild west. Like everybody was doing whatever they wanted and there was no clearinghouse for music okay. and Nickelodeon. I, I, you know, I think to some extent there was, there was Hannah Montana, there was, there was high school musical and, you know. Lots of things that didn't happen at, at Disney before that, but those two sort of were starting to peek through. And I think, you know, Viacom looked at Nickelodeon like, what are you guys doing? Right. Um, of course, a very different business model from from the Disney Channel and, and the way they sort of were able to run their business. But they just decided it was time to have one music team and one department. And uh, that's where I came in. Yeah, yeah, and
0: obviously you've been so instrumental over the years with Kid's Choice Award. That's kind of your baby. Thank you. Well, that you. is your baby. Yeah, <laughs> one of them. And let's talk about the biggest, well, I don't know. I'm saying it's the biggest, but maybe it's not for your career. Which this uh, SpongeBob SquarePants musical? I mean, that was huge.
2: That was a big one for me. That was really special and different. I, you know, when I started Nickelodeon, I did not know that I was going to get to work on a Broadway show from inception, which was really special. So thank you for you want to process to launch a musical. It was a long process. I would <laughs> okay. say it was probably close to 10 years was from it the first really? meeting. It's crazy.
1: Like I've written musicals too. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, yeah, you get eight years in, 10 years in. You're still like workshopping. It's a long process. I mean,
2: the thing about this was, listen, SpongeBob is such an iconic property and brand. Like we didn't have to do this, right? So <laughs> no, we didn't. I mean, even after spending. So so the, the, the mantra from the beginning was, let's do development. Let's research. Let's see if we find the person who helps us bring this to life. But if it's wrong, bye-bye. It goes away. It doesn't matter because we don't have to do it. It's not the thing that's going to keep the lights on. This is a special extension of the brand. If it does work, it could be incredible and to bring it to that world. But it was always sort of like, if it doesn't work... We don't have to do it, which is really amazing for the creator, you know, for yeah. our co-conceiver Tina Landau, who directed it and co-conceived the musical. It's really her vision, obviously, along with a bunch of other people, including Steve Hillenberg, who created SpongeBob. But yeah, it was it was an incredible journey to be on that ride. One of the most special things.
0: To, back to the kid's choice for a minute. Um, what is the most challenging part about putting that together?
2: Kid's choice? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that is that changes, you know, all the time. Also, I would say, you know, right now, I'd say the most challenging thing about putting that together is making it special and different, making people want to watch, you know, cutting through. There are so many award shows. There are so many shows, you know, in that category. Now, there didn't used to be. So giving people something that, There's a reason to watch and making it really special for them, for our audience.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of the obvious next question just about Nickelodeon as a network in general, right? Because kids are all watching streaming. I mean, I'm sure this comes up every single day in your job. So what's kind of the how do you guys think about, you know, how to stay a relevant brand and obviously like a show like this that injects kind of the excitement of. You know, let's think about it. Like the stuff that goes viral or is the father and the daughter playing their songs together and that's the stuff that kids love watching or the little drummer girl and her sisters, you know. So was that is that something that you guys thought about when conceiving the show, bringing it full circle?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that this was sort of again, this was like for the whole family. I mean, this is for everybody and that's so important to us. That's definitely one of our mantras right now is is making television and when I say television, I'm using that word very broadly because, as you said, and Debbie said, it's not just linear; it's digital. We have we have multiple digital extensions of this show. We have the judges doing digital programming. We have the. Um, contestants doing digital, I mean, there's, we have a whole digital host, literally a separate host for the digital platform. So.
0: And were you thinking about viral moments when you were making it? Like, oh, this will be something that will live, you know, be great to kind of have spread buzz about the show.
2: Sure. I mean, I think we're always thinking for that. I think those have to sort of happen organically, but I think that that's always a goal it's always something that we want I don't think like Debbie said earlier we weren't going to force anything or or anything like that but we want to create as much content so that hopefully something does hit like that
1: I think me tap dancing and the (laughs) b-roll after the Leahys there is a family can I say this like can I talk about them a little bit next generation Leahy they came out and they were like playing accordions and by the way accordion is one of the hardest instruments you will ever attempt to play um, and they were amazing, but they were like, like, like clogging. Like they, it was oh unbelievable. Like they grew up in some, like they're from some mountain, like a mountain town, I think. <laughs> it's like a throwback. And I want yeah, to say was Missouri,
2: amazing. but I'm not 200% sure. I
1: don't, it I was, but, but I did remember that, like having the visual of them being like tucked away in this like remote town. And yeah, I, I did hear about the tap part. So I brought my tap shoes in and tapped with them. I was going to say, did you Backstage have the shoes? Afterwards. Oh, of course they have the shoes. Oh, that's a
0: viral moment.
1: You never know, you know, no, but there were a lot of, um, I just think the amount of talent is what will like people be like, have you heard this kid's voice? Like there were some voices. I mean, I was sending like my professional recording artist friends, little videos going listen to this kid. Like, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think like this generation, I joke that they have swallowed an auto tune and compressor at birth (laughs) because they grow up, you know, they grow up hearing these like perfected vocals and records and they grow up with the benefit of having the internet so they can hear all, like we just grew up hearing whatever our parents (laughs) played essentially. Right. And so the exposure that young kids have to like old soul music and as well as modern. And again, like sometimes they sing with an effect in their voice that makes me go, they're emulating a digital effect and it's a part of their instrument now Crazy. It's fascinating. It's
0: crazy. So wrapping up, Debbie, tell us what you're up to other than hosting, being one of the judges on this fantastic show. What else are you up to these days?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, we, well, you know, I've done a couple of movies for Hallmark. So we're um, talking about doing the next one and, uh, talking about doing some other fun things here at Nickelodeon. Like we just had a meeting, we just had a meeting basically, um, because I'm a creator, like I'm at heart, I, you know, I'm a performer and I love being hired to do these projects, but I I have a lot of vision and ideas. And so really just kind of working on branching out and developing these ideas in all areas. Um, And I'm working on new music. I'm working on a Christmas record, pop record, new single out called Girls Night Out that we're remixing right now, working on a video for. uh, It's really a female anthem. Fun. And um, what else? Am I missing anything Sounds like a lot. I'm asking my manager. you know, got some performances coming up. Um, you know, I just continue to perform, but I'm really trying to focus right now on the new music. Cause I, it's just my happy place to sit at my piano and write and record. And yeah. I feel like, I feel like whatever a musical chapter is next. Um, for me just, you know, you can't predict what happens once you, once your like little bird leaves the nest, like that's the music kind of going out into the world. But I feel like I'm about to make the best record I've ever made because my life's been just very rich, very complex. Um, and I draw on all that's happened in my life, but I also live in a very modern world and like very modern music. And so there's just something really cool happening in my musical being that's ready to get unleashed.
0: I love that. I also believe, and I think this is such a great cultural moment in terms of that, because like you look at JLo and, you know, some of yes. like the huge megastars that are doing their best work in their late forties, early fifties, yep. you know, and it's so different now. Like, no,
1: I mean, I think there's like know? an agelessness to yeah. people now and people don't really pin on you their perception of age as much. I think there's like, we're all more connected than you think. Like I Ran into Ali Brooke a couple of times, including when we presented Doug with the Visionary Award at the TJ Martel Family Day. So but like bright. someone like Ali's of a different generation, and she and I connected. And there's not this feeling of like this big age gap, right? Um, you know, and I, and I even with like David and Sierra on the show, there just wasn't this. There's just a connection. There's not you're this age, I'm this age, and that means this, and that means this. It it doesn't. I don't know why that is, but I just think that people are more connected and not as uh, cynical about age anymore. I agree. I agree.
0: Doug, what do you have cooking here at Nickelodeon other than this
2: show? Um, well, that you can share. No, I can share. I mean, of <laughs> who's going to
0: host Kids Choice? By the way, aha,
2: uh-huh, that's a good. Are you available? Yes, um, always you available. available. Yeah, uh, want to ask Debbie. We, first. we don't know that at this moment. Not at liberty to say, but we we are working on that. That Kids Choice is definitely a huge and important priority, as you know. Um, so we're working on that. It's a bunch of months away, but it's coming up. Um, we have the launch of America's Most Musical Family on November first, as you know hopefully leading into another season of America's most musical family. I feel
1: like
0: if I put it out in the
2: ether, it happens quicker. I have a good feeling. Well, we we all have a good feeling, right? Yeah. Um, And you know what? Again, lots for me, what's really exciting as the guy who oversees the music for the network, our new president, Brian Robbins, um, just believes in music, loves music, speaks to that world. And, and, and there's so many projects coming up, uh, that have a music base to it. So scripted, unscripted, our animation has tons of music. We're working with more and more celebrity partners and, um, it's limitless. It's so exciting.
0: Does TikTok come up in your meetings? Cause as I'm sure, you know, TikTok, my daughter is 12 and it is her obsession, her obsession and it's all music. Yeah. Cause she knows the words to every song. And I was like, we're always together or you're at school. How do you know these songs? Like TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Everyone's no,
2: TikTok. we have teams of people in every realm, <laughs> you know, sort of stalking that and all the other websites and apps all day long, finding new talent. I mean, that's we 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 right. find a lot of our kids, you know, online. So TikTok. Yeah. It's all about. Debbie, do you know TikTok? I don't really know it so well. Funny enough. It used to be called Musically. Oh. Musically. Oh yeah,
0: it's the thing. So we'll see what happens. You know what the next thing is, but right now TikTok is it's all about TikTok. Well, I'm so, so honored to have you guys here. This is, thank you to Doug for making this happen. You always make everything happen. He's the producer. Make
1: it happen. Go, Mariah. Wait, are we getting a
0: performance right now?
1: I was just doing a little Mariah Carey reference. Okay, keep going. If you believe in yourself enough and know what you want, you're gonna make it happen, right? Make it happen. I don't know. Life's a musical. Yeah,
0: keep going. Basically, if if you hung
1: out with me all day... (laughs) <laughs> that would just happen, right? We, right it does happen. I love it. It, it just does. breaks into song. Yeah, it's like if I, if uh, my favorite one always is because like if you're leaving people and you're like, oh, well, text me tomorrow. Text me in the morning, then just walk away. Yeah, it's life's a musical, people. That's I, my motto. That's I, my do parting the spe-
2: words. I do the speaking part of the musical. <laughs> she, De- Debbie was singing, uh, I think Shake Your Love was playing at when you were talking about when she was talking to the fans and stuff. And she yeah. was singing and dancing on the, the phone best. and she handed the mic to another friend and he sang and then she handed it to me. I'm like, not singing. Sorry. No. <laughs> do you want to give us a little bit of Shake Your Love?
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shake Your Love. I just can't shake your love. It's like the vocally most unimpressive thing you'll ever I'll ever sing but ah uh, really shake. It's like shake your love. All these songs that I wrote as a kid, it's funny and Doug was at this event I, I um, performed at the other night for the Point Foundation and I sang my song out of the blue but really like intimate and slow and because when you write songs when you're like 13, 14, 15 and then you're singing them as an adult, it's a very different feel, you know. It's you, you do have a different really, take. Yeah, you want to put who you are now into the song. But I laugh when I do "Shake Your Love" because there's, you're not doing "Shake Your Love" as a ballad, and that's <laughs> like, boy, I'm wondering why. I have all those little like why, those little inflections that need to be a part of the song. Yeah. So I just, you know, I'm very, I'm pretty much always a giant girl at a slumber party anyway. I love um, that. Especially with those songs well your music endures and
0: you're so good on the show I'm so excited for everybody to see it so
1: excited for people to see it
0: and make sure you watch set those DVRs watch live right it all counts Um, and thank you guys so much for being here thank you thank you so
2: much this was awesome